with everyone so focused on the coronavirus outbreak, and rightfully so, it's easy to overlook how scary it can be when you have some other medical emergency come up, especially when that particular medical emergency looks a lot like the coronavirus. That's exactly what happened to my guest this week. This is the Greatest Story Ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. One person who might be interesting to talk to in the future is Angela Nava of Richmond, Texas. Even with the pandemic, people are still decorating their homes for Halloween. Angela is one of them and recently received a letter from her homeowners association saying there had been complaints filed about her, quote, inappropriate and offensively positioned, unquote, Halloween decorations. The display in question is modeled after an adult club and features skeletons in colorful wigs, pole dancing, and striking other suggestive poses. Angela said despite the letter, she doesn't plan to fight it, since it gives her 30 days to take down the display, and that's well after Halloween. Come on, guys, lighten up. Halloween comes once a year, and those skeletons are just trying to earn extra money to help pay for college. Naturally, you would have already heard about Angela's Halloween hijinks, if you had visited KeithConradMedia.com and signed up for my free email newsletter, The News Side Quest, every day you'll get a smattering of headlines, my accompanying snark, and a few gifts. And while you're surfing around, don't forget to rate and review this podcast to help new people find it. My guest today is a radio host at 890 WLS in Chicago, and if you add up a couple different combined stints, he's the radio host I've worked with the most in my life. John Howell, thanks so much for joining me. Keith, always nice to talk to you. I want to thank you publicly here on your uh, your podcast for appearing on my broadcast last week to talk space. You're the biggest space geek I know. It was a terrific segment. Uh, the audience loved it. The management loved it. And it, it was one other segment I didn't have to bother with. So thank you for that. So that segment was uh, on to the Broadcast Hall of Fame immediately afterwards? I, I don't know if I... I don't know if we're going to submit it to the Broadcast Hall of Fame. They have probably already gleaned it themselves because they 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 can hear magic, too. They probably already – I'm sure Bruce Dumont uh, records everything on my program. And he just, Is he still involved with the Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah. I'm not sure that he is or not. I, I do remember uh, the last th – there was a time when I came on your, your weekend show uh, years ago to talk space – and then uh, my dad sent it to one of his friends, who's a, like a, a legit space historian. And he said, oh, you know, it's a really interesting segment, but he got this, 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 and this wrong. <laughs> when they say he got it wrong, I hope he means you got it wrong, not me. I, I got it wrong. And uh, so that's why when you asked me to talk about um, about Comet Bennu and, uh, and Osiris Rex and everything, I said, hey, can you give me a, a maybe an hour to to research everything and make sure that I, I actually know what I'm talking about because I, you know, at, at one point you mentioned my book and some smart Alec uh, called it and said, Hey, you know, that was a movie in the, <laughs> <laughs> it, it uh, the premise is really close to a previous movie, but you knew that already. Right. Right. And, and if you look at the acknowledgements, I, I say that. Huh. So I don't think I'm trying to uh, fool anybody with that. Well, look, I uh, I appreciate it uh, whenever you talk uh, science because I grew up in the 60s. I'm considerably older than you. But to me, from Alan Shepard on, 
these guys are rock stars when I was growing up. So I'm still fascinated by uh, all of space. And it makes me feel very, very, very insignificant. Are you uh, familiar with who Bill Bryson is, the writer? Uh, I've heard of him, yeah. Well, he's terrific. And he has a book called um, uh, A Short History of Almost Everything. I believe that's the name of the book. And in there, he talks about the beginning of life as we know it, not only here on Mother Earth, but as far as the uh, solar system's concerned, when the amino, amino acids met the protein and then there was a spark of lightning or what have you. I know my evangelical Christian friends disagree with that, but that's my story and I'm sticking or, to it. 5,000 years ago. When yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, this Bill Bryson book talks about uh, how insignificant little old Earth is and then later in the book, how insignificant we are, considering the moment we shuffle off the mortal coil, all the molecules will just find other things to do within a matter of hours of our demise. So even if this podcast goes horribly wrong, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah, I was just watching a, uh, a show that, or a, it wasn't a show, it was a YouTube video, actually, that was talking about uh, what it would be like if the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs like hit tomorrow and like people were actually around for it and it goes through basically says it, it would be impossible for people to survive but the good news is that the earth would barely notice it happened and, <laughs> and like five million years from now there would be a whole new uh you know smattering of life on the planet and oh, yeah. Thing would be fine. Uh, it starts all over again. You know, uh, we have the exact amount of precipitation, H2O, that we're ever going to have on Earth, uh, unless some asteroid carrying uh, water uh, hits us, but uh, not likely, obviously. But uh, not the asteroid. The asteroid is likely. Yeah. And water's a, not likely. A comet carrying water in the way that many uh, radio hosts carry water for the president. Exactly. In fact, 99.9% .9 do. But that's a separate subject. Two things about that. Number one, if you knew an asteroid was coming and was going to impact Earth, like a what a, a bus-sized asteroid. Now, depending on where it hits, that would be uh, the different devastation levels, obviously. But does the American public specifically and the world public in general have the intellectual fortitude to even accept that news reasonably, or would that just be mayhem? Uh, I think... Uh, I don't really lean towards the folks that think that we would accept that news uh, rationally and calmly. I think maybe the news is best kept from the plebeians. What do you think? Well, it's funny you should mention that, John, because uh, next month in uh, in November, actually, it, most people who listen to this will probably listen to it uh, in November. But during the month of November, I'm writing a uh, a sort of like Agatha Christie whodunit book. Uh, for for National Novel Writing Month, where you're supposed to try to write a novel in a month. The last one took me six years. This one I'm going to try to do in a month. Uh, but after that, the project that I want to do is uh, is actually a story in which we find out that uh, actually four comets are going to hit Earth and wipe out uh, life as we know it in four years. And it's actually how people uh, respond to that news, because... Uh, there's basically not enough time for us to do anything about it, but enough time for us to be bored. Like that, that's, uh, so it, I, I think it, uh, it'll turn out to be an interesting story. So we'll see how that turns out. You no doubt know this movie scene. What is this thing? It's an asteroid, sir. How big are we talking? It's the size of Texas, Mr. President. Dan, we didn't see this thing coming. 
Well, our object collision budget's a million dollars. That allows us to track about 3% of the sky. Is this going to hit us? What kind of damage are we? Damage? Total, sir. It's what we call a global killer. The end of mankind. Doesn't matter where it hits. Nothing would survive, not even bacteria. My God. <laughs> so if I, a, a Joe Biden becomes president, it's not quite as apocalyptic as that would be. Well, maybe it is to our, our very, very, very conservative friends. And, you know, George Carlin had a great line, Keith. He said, don't worry about Mother Earth. Uh, she'll be fine. Mother right. Earth will be fine. But she'll shake all of us off like a bad case of fleas as soon as she wants to. Yeah, I would uh, I would think that's true. And, uh, you know, you, you look at the uh, the movie uh, Interstellar. I don't know if you saw that the uh, Christopher Nolan, uh, Matthew McConaughey movie. That's kind of what the Earth is doing there is it's just saying, you know what? I've had enough of you people. Maybe it's time for you to leave. Well, my wife had me watch the first episode of season one of The Handmade Tale. Uh -huh. And that's essentially when um, humans, uh, their ability to reproduce uh, is uh, degraded and uh, ending. And uh, that brings on, of course, uh, this apocalyptic end of uh, uh, society as we know it. I, it's too dark and dystopian for me to watch that, but I promised her I'd watch the first episode. I did. Check. Got that uh, off my list of things I have to watch. Yeah, it's got uh, it's got Peggy Olson from uh, from Mad Men in it. So, you know, in, in a very different role. Is she the lead? Uh, she is. And and if you talk to some people, uh, not the same radio hosts that we mentioned earlier, but another set of radio hosts, they say that we're basically living in it. I'm, I'm assuming they are against the uh, uh, nomination and confirmation of our latest Supreme Court justice. Oh, yeah. You know, they probably haven't read the book, so they probably think that that's how it happens. Okay. Well, you know, I, I, I've told my listeners this all the way through this election cycle, which was the never-ending election cycle, and it's been this way, uh, I think, since 2008. But, right. uh, you know, keep calm, carry on. It'll all be okay. This great country of ours, uh, the greatest republic in human history, depends on, whichever way it breaks here, depends on the defeated being the loyal opposition and saying, okay, we lost this round, but it's not the end of the world. And we're going to start fighting today to get you out of office in two and or four years, but we're not going to burn it all down because we lost the election. That's our problem nowadays. So uh, a comet, uh, the inability to produce, uh, reproduce. And um, uh, if uh, the loyal opposition wasn't, um, that would be, uh, certainly fodder for the greatest story ever podcast. But uh, like, if you had a if you had a sort of narrow down your life experience to to one really uh, you know interesting uh, life experience, what would you say it was? Oh gosh, I mean that's too too wide of a of a, a, a dance floor for me because I've had epiphanies and life changing experiences since uh, earliest memories, and certainly uh, since I've been a young adult, career wise. Uh, uh, personal business, uh, finances, uh, travels. But the one I had recently that I think uh, kind of fits into the news cycle is I was uh, shoved into uh, my leafy northern suburbs hospital be back in April, right when COVID-19 was hitting the news. And they were really sure that I was positive, that I had the coronavirus. So I spent, I think, uh, two and a half days, somewhere near 60 hours maybe, uh, in the COVID-19 unit in a North Suburban hospital. And I will say 
It was life-changing. It turned out that I didn't have it. I was just having, in the words of Billy Joel, a heart attack. But more on that later. It's not as bad as it sounds. It's kind of a Dick Cheney, kind of a Dick Cheney heart attack. Baker's dozen sort of heart attack. They come and they go. So, so the symptoms of a heart attack are uh, are actually very similar to COVID. I actually didn't know that. Except uh, I never never had a fever. Uh, but what I did have was a really bad chest pains, which in fact is a symptom of COVID-19. And I felt achy and crappy and uh, just felt terrible, uh, headaches, what have you. And this went on for a couple of days. And then finally, I went to get tested for COVID. Uh, they gave me an EKG. The ambulance came. They took me right to the emergency room. In we go to the operating uh, room. They did a uh, angioplasty or angiogram. Uh, angiogram. They took a little look-see at the ticker by going up through my groin. And uh, that's unpleasant, by the way. Just let you know. Not want to have a heart attack. Yeah, and uh, but uh, believe it or not, even with my awful, awful lifestyle for all these years, I did not have any blockage. I have a bad valve, and uh, so I have to get that fixed when the COVID nineteen emergency uh, diminishes. When they have essentially elective surgery again, I'll go in and have a little nip and tuck on one of my valves, and that should take care of a variety of uh, problems with old uh, John here. But my, I guess the reason I, I think this is a significant life experience is for those of you who believe this, this whole thing is a hoax, which is completely asinine to believe that. But if you believe it's a hoax, well, I, I probably can't help you. If you think it's overblown, you might be right, especially when it comes to young people and people that don't have pre-existing conditions or heart attack acts. But when I was in there, I could hear people suffering adjacent to me in the next room, across the hall from me. I saw a number of people wheeled out, usually about 1 or 2 a.m. on the gurney, and they weren't going home. They had tags on their toes. So I've experienced it. And for people that are susceptible to infection or viruses or even bacteria, this is a serious deal. And I know some of you think putting a mask on, you can equate that to slavery. That is complete bull crap. You just wear the mask to be polite. If you don't want to wear it at home, don't wear it at home. I don't care. If you want to get your whole family sick, I don't care. But when you're out in public, please do the right thing and wear the mask. Since Jamestown and Plymouth Rock, if you don't help build and maintain the fort, you can't stay in the fort. So as, as much of a rugged individualist as you want to be, at least when you're around me, please wear the mask. Member FDIC. Back to you, Keith. It's interesting because way back in uh, in episode number eight, which is about the same time, it was in uh, the end of April, uh, I talked to uh, a guy by the name of uh, Mike Stiles, who I worked with uh, in Atlanta. And uh, he was actually like, he, he had COVID. He and his wife both did uh, very early on in the crisis, as, as you mentioned, because, you know, it was, it was back in the spring. And uh, my biggest takeaway was uh, was twofold. It was first that it's it's pretty serious and we should we should uh, treat it as such. And also, uh, he said that the fever dreams you have while you have COVID are just amazing. <laughs> I usually have those after a fifth of bourbon. Yeah, me too. And I did not experience any of that. I just had really nasty chest pains, like several guys your size were standing on my chest at the same time. So they thought it was COVID. 
And once you're in a COVID unit, now you've been exposed, so they can't just say, oh, it's probably not COVID, uh, just we're going to kick you upstairs. It, there's a process involved there of multiple tests, which I had back in April. And uh, after about two and a half days, like I mentioned, I don't know, 60 hours or something, they said, okay, upstairs you go. But what was odd about, what was odd about being in the COVID unit is they had me wired up with plenty of uh, chest monitoring uh, devices, stickums with wires. And of course, uh, my temperature was being uh, taken constantly and my oxygen level was being taken constantly. Um, but all of the equipment was outside my room in the hallway and all the wires and the tubes, my intravenous tubes, all ran under the door out into the hallway so the nurses didn't have to come into my room because to come into my room, it would take them 20 to 30 minutes to suit up and then 20 minutes to get uh, out of that protective gear after visiting me in my room, even if it was for one minute. So they only came in two or three times a day. You were sitting there alone with a lot of time to think in a COVID unit. And uh, I was glad to get out of there. And so far, so good. Uh, no, uh, no relapse, no reoccurrence of any of the symptoms. But I'm ensconced up here uh, in the leafy northern suburbs now, Keith. I don't go out ever except to play golf. I, I would imagine so. So I, I think we can take a couple life lessons from uh, from your experience, John. Uh, the first is um, wear a mask. So first of all, stop leading rallies where you tell people not to wear masks. And wearing a mask is not like slavery. So if you're saying that, you're you're wrong. Well, any talk show host that equates wearing a mask to you know being enslaved, it's asinine. It's like, you know, it's using a Nazi analogy or a 9-11 analogy. You seldom win going that stupidly down those alleys rhetorically as far as the talk show host. As far as the rallies, look, look, I, I think Mother Nature is going to do what she's going to do with this virus. And if you want to go to a rally to A, because you don't think you're going to get it, or B, you're not afraid of getting it, uh, or C, you believe that we should uh, develop herd immunity, that's fine. That's your choice. Yay, freedom. I'm all for you being able to do that. But uh, I'd appreciate it if after going to the rally, you keep your distance from me for a couple of weeks. I mean, I, I'm not anti-rally. I'm not, uh, I believe people should be able to live their lives. I, I feel for the restaurants and the bars that have to shut down. I think that is a unfair burden on them. If we're going to shut down a restaurant, it seems to me we should shut down a supermarket. Well, whoa, and they can't do that, of course. It just seems unfair to me and an unfair burden for that sector of the economy to be really punished more than any other retailer or any other legal business. I, I think that's a bad move by governors that do that or mayors. But uh, other than that, I think uh, we have to take uh, the – uh, precautions that we are going to take uh, as an individual or as a family or as a neighborhood and uh, and just uh, see what happens because I think uh, it's not nice to fool Mother Nature and Mother Nature usually wins. Again, I referenced that Bill Bryson book, A Short History of Almost Everything. And of course, uh, if you don't help build the fort, you can't uh, come inside the fort when the, uh, when the, uh, the, the Native Americans attack. Or the virus attacks. My point being, you you can be a rugged individualist up to a certain point, but we have speed limits for a reason. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story, John. Well, it's more of a meandering uh, soliloquy than a story, Keith. I did not really have a proper beginning, middle, and end to that story. Well, I'm uh, I'm thinking of maybe starting a spinoff uh, that would be the greatest meandering soliloquy uh, ever <laughs> podcast. 
Well, I I, I, uh, I hope it works out for you. I promised you 10 minutes, and let the record show I've given you 19. Uh, under-promise and over-deliver. That's, uh, that's the name of the game, John. So when I want nine minutes back to talk space, not on your podcast, but on my broadcast, uh, you're going to owe me that. Uh, yeah, I, I think I do, yeah. All right, Mr. Conrad, thank you, sir. If you think you can top John's story or any of the other stories I've had on this podcast, shoot me an email at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com. Cabotron.